Be sure and pick up the latest Indiana Bible College recording entitled Jesus at www.voicevision.com. This week on the Indiana Bible College podcast, we have our guest speaker, Sister Rodenbush. Thank you very much. Thank you for that nice introduction. And thanks for all this staff. And who would have thought, Stephanie, in, in those years and praise that someday we would get to work together 20 years later, 20-something years later. You never know how God is going to move your life and let you meet the right people. And you think, wow, that was a friendship. That was, you know, we had a good time. And we went through several years. You were in Alaska. We maybe talked once a year. I think you called me on my birthday. I am, I do not retain numbers. I did not call you on your birthday. I'm so, I sound like a terrible person. Like, man. But I did call some other times, didn't I? Yeah, not birthdays. I just don't do dates. But anyway, so, but it's so cool how God puts people in your life and then later, puts them back in your life. And I've, it's just been a joy getting to raise our kids together. Who would have thought we would have had that opportunity? And thanks so much for all your hard work. And thanks, Chris Henderson, for all you do and for putting up with me because he does. And I appreciate it very much. Um, I want to tell you, just start out. In ministry, you can only do so much by yourself. You've got to learn how to build a team. And you start team building today. I don't want you to think about, oh, yes, someday I'm going to have a church and I'm going to find me the best musicians and I'm going to find me the best. But you are the sum. They say, what are they? You say you are the sum of your friendships that you have right now. And I believe that's true. And as you are going in your friendships today, think about building your friendship team because someday you're going to need that. And you don't know when you're going to have to call somebody that you haven't been around for 20 years and call on that relationship and say, hey, we need help. Would you come work alongside us? Because one person, I know you guys, I believe in you. You guys can do a lot. But Leviticus 26 and 8 And five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. So if you can start and think about a team, stop thinking about your own ministry so much, and start thinking about how can I build relationships and start building my ministry team. You know, I wanted to really kind of stay in the fun zone today and tell funny stories and laugh and spend these moments rejoicing. Um, But I would, if I did that today, I would really feel that I had missed what God had asked me to deliver deliver to you. It doesn't really bring me any pleasure. As a matter of fact, this message was birthed in sleepless nights through pain and through many tears. So forgive me for the heavier tone in which I feel to address you today. And let's pray that God will take this moment and these thoughts and use them for his purpose and his life. Today is Brother Mooney's birthday, so I wish would you just call, stand for a moment and let's call out his name. We've had a couple of family tragedies. Sister Jean is in the hospital. My mother's brother was put on hospice. 
And so just everything came against me today, even run my pantyhose on the way down here. So I either wasn't supposed to speak and I missed it and I was supposed to be somewhere else or I was supposed to and the devil didn't want me to. So, but let's pray that we can get something out of this and the Lord will help us. God, in your precious name, we need you today, Father. Need you to move among us, God. We ask you to touch Brother Mooney and Sister Mooney. God, bless them as they go through this journey of losing their last brother on my mom's side. And God, I pray that you would just anoint this lesson today. God, that you would take these words and somehow speak through me to these people. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. And my dad is a visionary leader and a true man of God. And none of us would be here today if it wasn't for his vision for IBC But if you bring him a complaint, if you have a complaint, and sometimes I have a few, and he'll always ask you, now, Jay, you you can win that argument, but is this the hill you want to die on? Meaning, you can fight this battle. You can spend the time. You can put enough energy into this. You can spend your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual energy, and you'll win. But is it the battle you want to fight in the first place? Is this really the war that you should be fighting? We're just one week past the biggest election of our lifetime. The stakes for our country and our family and our churches and our future have never been higher. The newspapers that you read today read like end-time prophecy scriptures. And I don't know how many more signs it will take for this world to get the notice, or for our churches to notice. Yet, I'd like to say people are just rushing through the doors of the church, and and maybe this election was a sign that people are kind of going to push back and stand for righteousness. But I really feel like, in some places, apathy abounds. It doesn't bother people to sin doesn't bother people to live in unrighteousness. And we ignore the devastation and the immorality and the loss of freedoms. And we look into the emptiness and the hollow eyes of our teenagers whose bodies have been mutilated with tattoos and piercings until they're almost unrecognizable. And they look more like animals than the children that they should be. And we stand here in this school today just hoping that better times will be ahead. Hoping that somehow it's all going to turn out right. Hoping that just maybe America could be great again. But I'm not even sure that that's possible. I'm not trying to give a political speech. It's not my intention. But I can't spend my nights, like I know so many of you do, weeping over my country and its future, but continue to spend my days with my family and my friends and my time with you, just acting like everything is all okay. Because we're facing real struggles and real crises, and it affects everyone here. This is not to say that I think we should cower, hide in a bunker somewhere. No, I refuse to live in fear. As a matter of fact, I think, you know, we use the scripture. um, uh, What's the scripture? There's one up there. You're going to have to follow along because you don't even know where I'm going, but you'll just have to follow along. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, that one. For the Spirit of God gave us, but it doesn't make us timid, but it gives us the power of love and self-discipline. Go on to the next one. And submit yourselves to God, then to God. Submit yourselves, then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I think we use this a lot of times in relationship to our to sin, temptation as sin. But I think we have to use this in relationship to fear. And I think right now, fear abounds. How is this going to happen? What's going to happen to our country? How am I going to raise children? How am I going to build a church? How's my ministry going to work in this crazy world? And we have to push back against that fear because that is the devil. And we have to resist the devil and he will flee from us. This country has been blessed with abundance and wealth and good fortune. And instead of acknowledging God's provision, the nation seems to have squandered its inheritance and finds itself like the prodigal son covered with filth and desperate. You can feel the shift. You can see the panic and the alarm in people's eyes. And I think it's them searching to get back to stability, to find a foundation And we're watching them dig themselves further and further into the mud. And how low does the bottom have to get? Really, America, how filthy does it have to get? The average 12-year-old girl is exposed to 280 sexy images in the course of one day. One author put it this way. Being sexy has become a virtue among our youth. The overwhelming lesson that teenagers are now learning from the world around them is that being sexy is the ultimate accolade, that it trumps intelligence. It's better to be sexy than smart. It's better to be sexy than good. It's better to be sexy than to be kind. And it's certainly even working its way into the church. And girls would rather be sexy than spiritual. They would even rather be sexy than safe. We're seeing the news everywhere of kids, young girls from good homes, decent families, blindly getting involved in internet sexual relationships that lead to sex trafficking. Recently, uh, down at the Edinburgh Outlet Mall, just 30 minutes from here, a young girl was involved in a sex trafficking case from a good family. 30 minutes from where you are right now. Two weeks ago, a Chicago cop was arrested for sex trafficking young girls. One was aged 14 years old. Another investigation by the Associated Press found that of almost 1,000 cops who lost their badges over sexual misconduct between 2009 and 2014, a third of them were fired over sexual misconduct with children and underage teenagers. Evil is at our doorsteps. Why does this matter to me? Who do you think is going to need your ministry? Who do you think is going to be in your pews in 10 years? It's going to be people with battle scars. It's going to be girls who have been through hell and back. And you're going to need the tools. And I know some of you may have been raised on a church pew, and I know some of you haven't. But it's time that we wake up and figure out what, where the battle lines have been drawn, that we're not naive, that we're not innocent. I want us to be innocent, but not naive toward these things. There's a difference. Evil is at our doorstep, and it's not time for us to turn a blind eye and say, oh, I didn't know that was going on. I, I don't know anything about that. 
How many of you know Slender Man? Just about half. Slender Man is an internet meme or an internet character. You guys know more about that than I do. But there were three young girls, three 12-year-old girls in Wisconsin, and they were going to an American Girl doll sleepover. They had all been good friends in and out of each other's homes. They attended school together. Yet two of the girls decided to stab over eight, times their friend to win over the affection of Slender Man, an imaginary modern-day internet boogeyman that doesn't even exist. They became obsessed with Slender Man and wanted to serve as his proxy, and they intended to kill her as a sacrifice to their internet idol. She did live. John Cass wrote the following for the Chicago Tribune. It's a culture that's fallen in love with magic and fantasy. It's a culture that takes fantasy symbols of evil, the vampire, the witch, and transforms them into heroes of great virtue. It's a culture where dark magic is celebrated and religion is considered bothersome. What's the difference? I I watched Bewitched, you know, back in the day. Ding, ding, ding. You know, what's the difference between the vampire cartoons 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and now? Cass says, this genre of historical fiction that worked in this genre was written to show the difference between dark and light, the difference between good and evil. And he says, the contrast now is that it was written back when evil sought your soul. But now evil wants to be your friend, to marry you, and in his words, to hang out on twilight. We need to take a look at some of this darkness so that we know what we're up against. We know what things, and these are children, 12-year-old girls. They had been in and out of each other's homes. They knew one another. All the parents knew each other. This isn't some thing that happened, you know, oh, it happened in some other country. No, this happened a few hours from here in rural Wisconsin. There's truly a flood of this type of content, and it's gripping the minds of our young people. You know, it is, it's this sense of panic. It's this sense of, I don't know how to handle this. It's a sense of this is bigger than anything I know how to deal with. And I know so many of you know the current fads. And I, and, but every day that you are out from under that teen, tween era, you become farther removed from cool. You may think you know all the fads, but the language of the 10, 11, 12, and 13-year-olds is way different than the language you speak. The things they are into and the struggles they're against Many of you probably have no idea. This culture moves so fast. You think you're on top of it. You think you're cool, but it moves, and all of a sudden, you'll have no clue. You're going to need the Spirit. You're going to need some discernment. You're going to need something to prick your heart and say, oh, that something's not right about that. Something doesn't feel right here. i I gotta, I got to investigate this. i got to see what this is about. Too many of our apostolic and our good Christian parents just get overwhelmed because 
and even I think some of our youth pastors, because it's, it is a whole nother language. You've got to learn technology that you've never wanted to learn before. Brother, poor Brother Sleva had to get a computer. He didn't want to do that. It meant, it meant coming, uh, you know, into this whole new era that we know nothing about. But is it really a solution just to slap on a bag that says, I'm naive and I don't know, and you wear that like naivete as some sort of badge of honor? That's not what the Bible tells us to do. He tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We've got to get our heads out of the sand. We've got to avoid, avoid ignoring what it means to raise children and to minister to children that are in a sex-obsessed culture filled with violence and death. This is new territory, and you don't know it all. I don't know it all. And even if we did, it can change tomorrow. All I know for certain is that naive parenting, naive parenting, naive preaching, naive youth pastoring, and a naive ministry will not work. Either we educate ourselves and we educate our people under the sound of our voice and we protect the apostolic children against the evil in this world or the enemy will do the opposite. I promise you that. He's working day after day. Avoidance is the weapon of the cowardly. I think sometimes we try to tell people, well, this is somebody else's job. This is the parent's job. Some will say, oh, you know, my husband handles the technology. I don't know anything about that. I'm just mom, or I'm just grandma, or I'm just the youth pastor. I'm, I can't control what they listen to. You know what? You'll always just be something. So why don't we try to here today to be, try to decide to just be someone who's going to make a difference in some kid's life? Would you promise me that? Promise me that, that you'll just be somebody who takes on this end time battle and says, I will figure it out. I'll work. I'll do my best to find out where these kids are. So I asked my kid, my son, the seven-year-old at that time with wide eyes, one that runs around here all the time, that goes to church at least three times a week, the Bible quizzer, the one that goes to the apostolic Christian school across the street. I said, Robbie, do you know Slender Man? I wasn't prepared for the response. He said, oh, yeah, Mom. The boys play that on the playground all the time. The doors are opened, ladies and gentlemen. They're open right to the very house where you live. And you've got to be careful what you're letting in. You've got to be careful what you're letting in because it will filter on and on and on. And if you're not filtering for yourself, how do you expect to filter to the people in your ministry? If you're not setting some boundaries for yourself, how do you expect to set boundaries for people that are under your ministry? A cult is entertainment is dangerous territory. It's an introduction to satanic violence and darkness. Should we really be surprised? 
Parents provide their children access to all types of explicit content, hours of movies and video games and fantasy books, and expect that the same children who still believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy are going to be able to decipher that these things aren't real. The lines are blurred between fantasy and reality. And when it comes to evil, the devil is so good at making children confused. Children whose brains are not yet fully formed, whose thought processes are still being developed, are exposed to the violence and the filth, and then they're supposed to just be able to put it aside and to understand that it's just a game, it's just a story. But for some, it's all they know, and there is no distinction. And no doubt in Wisconsin, the darkness consumed those girls' hearts until those lines were no longer distinguishable. This genre of entertainment is growing faster and faster than the demand can be satisfied. Storylines of vampires, witches, wizards fill today's music, videos, and fiction. It familiarizes our young people with the language of magic, spiritualism, not connected with Christ, supernatural powers, and demon possession, and occult practices dealing with blood. Did you hear that just two days ago, fans of Beyonce were at a concert, and she somehow ripped an earring and started bleeding, and they decided to connect to that spirit, and they all began cutting themselves in a concert Do you think that this is an accident? We believe that the life of the flesh is in the blood, that there's power in the blood. And do you believe that it's an accident that somehow Satan is getting our kids so confused about issues of blood? We have a a social worker that attends our church, and she meets with a group. They've been forced to meet with her based on some things that they did wrong. And so they meet with her week after week, and they believe that they are vampires. And they sit around fires here right in Indianapolis, and they cut one another and drink each other's blood. These are the kids who need the gospel. These are the kids who need your burden. These are the kids that when you look in their eyes, they need you to see their hunger. And it's going to be that they need you to believe that it's not too late for them. If we have questions about this, we should read Deuteronomy 18. The Bible calls these things an abomination. I don't think we can get our entertainment from things that the Bible calls an abomination and still be on the same page with the Lord. It just doesn't work that way. If you want to know what National Public Radio contends is one of the fastest growing religions among high school and college students, it's Wicca or witches, the religion of witchcraft. The darkness is encroaching. Music videos portray 93 sexual situations per hour, including 11 hardcore scenes that show behavior such as intercourse and oral sex. And you don't mind listening to that stuff? The language is deeper. The music, the the lyrics are deeper than any pornography you might see on TV or wherever you see that stuff on the internet, wherever. And I know that the enemy doesn't want me to say this today, but if you can listen to that stuff, then you are, that, you are not right with God. You need to work on that.
We've ignored the voices. We've laughed along as they subtly wove messages into our sitcoms, our television programs, and movies and kids' cartoons. And knowing that suicide is the third leading cause of death among teens, America hands toy purses, and I forgot to bring it today, shaped like caskets at McDonald's during Halloween. I went through the line. I went through the line. My daughter, a few years back, she gets her Happy Meal, opens it up, and there it is. It's a little purse, a little plastic purse made like a casket. What does it say about a nation that says, here, baby, here's a casket. Go play with this. What does it say when we can dress up our kids as zombies and dead people with blood and running ears and noses and faces and we think that that's fun and we think that that's entertainment? What does that say about our culture? The Journal of Psychology, Psychological Medicine documents 46%, that's nearly half of teens, admit to purposely hurting themselves via cutting or burning their skin or biting themselves. That's almost half, 46%. The CDC says one in four girls ages 14 to 19 has at least one sexually transmitted disease. The average child sees their first pornography by the age of just 11. And between 60 and 90% of kids under 16 have viewed hardcore pornography. And only 12% of parents are aware of it. 22% of teenage girls say they post nude or semi-nude photos of videos of themselves online. And the single largest group of internet pornography consumers are children ages 12 to 17. 92% say that they visit pornography sites sometimes between as few as five times a month to every day. One in five women use the internet for sexual purpose habitually. Pornography is not new, but it used to affect such a small percentage of our population. Today, pornography saturation has reached 80 of Americans use pornography. Do you think it just skips over the church? That it just says, I'm not going to tempt these kids. They go to church on Sunday. No, this is the battle you're up against, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't fight the wrong battle. Don't die on the wrong hill. We're looking at the first generation of children who will receive their primary sexual education before puberty by pornography. The first generation to grow up seeing rape and sexual violence before they've even lost their virginity. Psychologists, I'm not talking about preachers, I'm talking about psychologists, are so frightened. They don't even know if these people can even have healthy sexual relationships in marriage. They don't even know if it's, if it's possible psychologically. I know that America has made their choice They've tossed aside Judeo-Christian principles and they don't want God to interfere anymore. And so the question is left to us, the church. What battle will we fight? What hills do we want to die on? Are we going to be willing to take a stand against these issues? Or will we just keep plugging it in? Get our own iPod, get our own 
the earphones. Just keep it going. Keep the Netflix going. Keep the music going. Just don't let it stop. Don't let me be bored. Don't let me think. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Until we drown out all the cries of the lost people. Until we've drowned out our the first place are we going to acknowledge that we truly do have wickedness in high places there is spiritual wickedness in high places i respect your sacrifice to come to bible college to pursue your ministry so much i respect your stand for holiness but the satan will fight you every chance he gets He does want to distract you, to destroy you. That is his mission. And we've got to decide what battles we're going to fight. Satan enjoys keeping us running, busy with the cares of life, distracted with personality conflicts, with gossip, who's dating who. And I'm sorry, I wish I could say today that your life's going to be a bed of roses, that you're going to get a big paying job, and you're going to, you know, go on to win thousands of people, and I hope you will. But most of you will go through hard times, and you'll win one soul at a time, and you'll just do one day at a time, and one thing at a time, and build little by little by little, and work your piece of God's kingdom You are the generation upon whom the ends of the earth have come. These are your headlines. This is your battle to fight. I fear that Satan is doing his best to get you to fight the wrong battle. He'll lure you into some conflict, some obligation that doesn't really matter, and you'll end up dying on the wrong hill. Ladies, think about this. Do you want to spend your ministry life organizing nursery duty, making flower arrangements, making sure everyone's baby gets a line in the Christmas play? Your ministry is more than event planning and making things look pretty. I do know someone has to keep things organized and looking nice, don't get me wrong, but it can't become our focus until we have no longer a burden for the lost. We can't fight the wrong battles. Men, do you want to spend every ounce of your free time on the internet or on some sport? Do you want to get lured into every distraction the enemy throws at you? Taking money opportunities before you take ministry opportunities. It's a trap. I believe the best preachers are in this room. I believe the best missionaries are in this room. The best saints of God are in this chapel right now. And I believe that God has a plan for every one of you. But I also know that Satan would love to destroy that plan. The little things can't consume us. We've got to get our mind on what God has called us to do. Satan would love to see us stressed out. He would love to see us trapped in the darkness of sexual sin, pornography, and the filth of this world. And if you play along, around with it long enough, he will. Maybe this isn't for you today, but remember, someday a trial will come, a distraction will come, a temptation will come. And I want you to remember this. Save your mental, save your emotional and your spiritual strength for what matters. Save your strength for the right battles. 
Make sure you're fighting the right battles and you're not dying on the wrong hills. Save what you have for the eternal. Save what you have for the eternal. Skip around here a little bit. I'm not saying that this is not a stressful time or that you shouldn't be concerned. But evil has slipped into our culture and we've got to figure out what we're going to do about it. I hate public speaking. I really do, honestly. I wrote an article about seven years ago. I'd been studying for my master's degree and I started researching about homosexual children's literature. And so I wrote this article about homosexual children's literature. And I called Sister Julia at AIS and I said, Julia, read this, see if you think, you know, if we could put this in AIS. She calls me back in tears. The week before, her daughter, who was, I think, in third or fourth grade, had come home, and in her backpack was a book that uh, she had a friend at school who was a transgender girl with two dads. And the dads had come from the birthday and passed out as gifts a book about homosexual transgenderism called Choose to Love, slipped it in every kid's backpacks and sent them home. The teacher was a Baptist pastor's daughter. She was a good teacher. She just missed it. It's just everywhere. She said, you've got to publish this. So we did. And I had never really been sick a day in my life. And right before, after I published that, Sister Haney contacted me and asked if I would talk about homosexual children's literature at the minister's wife's banquet at General Conference. And I know probably you've not been there, but that's the one where, how many of you know Sister Limble? Like, she's really funny, and she makes everybody laugh. Or they have, like, Bunch and Breeze. They have, like, skits, and it's really funny. And they asked me to talk about homosexual children's literature. And I'm like, okay, this is so not going to work. I, and I just, I was so stressed out about it. And I was like, Rob, how am I supposed to do this? This is, you know, you don't talk about homosexual children's literature at the minister's wife's banquet. It's more like chicken soup for the soul type stuff. And, you know, I don't know. It was scary. And right at that point, I had never been sick very much in my life. I went into the hospital with an unexplained liver condition. 21 days in the hospital until my mind was almost gone, literally. I hate to even talk about it. I haven't talked about it until recently. When I got into like 15, 16, 17 days of just, I was out of my mind with pain. I was to the point where I couldn't, couldn't even get to the restroom. I was so, so confused and, and, and I urinated all over myself. It was horrible. Never been sick a day in my life. And I finally made it through that. We make it to general conference. I couldn't get anything together. Nothing would come together. I didn't know what to talk about. This is my first time to speak publicly. Like, okay, you don't start at general conference. I should have spoke at chapel, you know, when I had the chance. Hint, hint. Take the opportunity while you can. And so I got up and I spoke. And... When I got done, Sister Becton, and if you know Sister Becton, she was just a, a, just a sweet, kind, elderly lady, very classy. And she came and prayed for me. And at that moment, she said, Satan tried to kill you because you weren't supposed to say 
what you said today at this banquet. And it was then, you know, we kind of got on with it, and there was a move of God. It was a sweet moment. And that launched kind of a little bit of a speaking ministry, and, and I started having to speak out. And I went around quite a bit, and then my husband was all of a sudden got very, very sick. It's been chronic since then, and I know you guys, I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. You've heard it so much. But it wasn't until about a year ago that for, every, you know, for, for whatever reason that we put this all together. We had been fighting the illness. We'd been calling the doctors. What's going on? We went to the best specialists. We went, you know, got him the right doctors, went and got him the surgery, blah, 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 blah. But finally, the last year and a half it hit us. We were fighting the wrong battle. We were fighting the illness. But the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I don't know what battle you guys have going on. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's somebody coming after you, a personal attack. Maybe it's, you don't know if you're going to be able to come back next year. You don't, maybe your parents are struggling. I just want you to know that that is not the battle. Make sure you're fighting the right battle because it's probably not that financial problem. God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He could solve that if he needed to. Your problem is so much bigger than this. It is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the world. It's about all those headlines. It's about all those things. It's about the fact that Satan doesn't want you to have a ministry that deals with all this stuff. Do you get it? I want you to know when something comes against you, put it in the right perspective. You guys are leaders and we need you to lead this generation into revival, into truth, and into holiness. Don't pretend like you don't know any better. Don't pretend like you can't figure it out. Yeah, prepare. If there's a scripture you don't understand, go get it from Brother Kilman. But you know in your heart what's right. You know what's in your, if it's in your heart, you'll just do it. We've got to have help. These kids, these 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kids, by the time you're graduated, they're going to be in your youth groups. And that's the group that you're going to be ministering to. You better figure out what they're into now. We've got to seek God for wisdom and understanding. There's one more scripture I want to end with, a conclusion of Proverbs chapter 7. It's not going to be on the screen. But you can turn there if you like. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister. And call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman and from the stranger that which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked in through my casement, and I looked out, and I saw the simple ones, and I discerned among the youths a man void of understanding. See, this is the enemy. And he 
looks out his window and he says, I'm going to look for the simple ones, the ones who aren't plugged in. Maybe the ones who can't turn their iPads off long enough to get into the word. Maybe I'm going to look for the ones who are so plugged into Netflix that they don't know if it's day or night. I'm going to look for the simple ones. And I discerned among the youth a man, and he had no understanding. He just wasn't paying attention. And he passed through the corner near her corner, and he went the way to her house. In twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. I believe that's where we are. It's where the world is right now, in the black and dark night. And behold, there he met a woman with the attire of a harlot and a subtle of heart. Satan dresses like the world. He has the allure of the world and a subtle call to our most base temptations and lusts. She's loud and stubborn and her feet abide not in her house. See, this is a problem and it's not going to go away. She's going to keep coming back. Those temptations that you're dealing with, you might have to hit it down and then it might come back up again. It's stubborn and it's loud. But you've got to get rid of it. God, help me understand what's going on here. Help me connect this to the world. Help me connect to what's going on. Verse 12, now she is without, now in the streets, and she lieth in wait at every corner loud and stubborn this is not going away the temptation the lure and the call of darkness is waiting everywhere you turn verse 13 so she caught him and she kissed him and with an impudent face she said unto him I have peace offerings with me she got him I'll I'll, I'll make this right I've got some peace offerings I've paid my vows Therefore came I forth to meet thee, and I diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. And I decked my bed with all the coverings of tapestry and the fine linen. See, it looks so good. The temptation, the pleasure of sin for a season. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloe and cinnamon. And come, let us take our fill of love. The sexual temptation is what will destroy this generation. It's what will destroy your ministry. It's what will destroy your mind. It's what will destroy your relationship. It's what will destroy your ability for that love story you've always wanted. But something's amiss. It felt like real love. Verse 21. And with her much fair speech... She caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. It all sounded so good, and he indulged in the pleasures of sin for a season. And right away, verse 22, he goeth after her as an ox goeth to slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. As with all sin, the wages are high and the cost is great. And 23, till a dark struck through his liver as a bird hasteneth to the stair. And he didn't know, he knoweth not that it was for his life. Ladies and gentlemen, this battle is for your life. It's for your ministry. 
It's for your life. It's for the life of your children and those to come. Stand with me. I'm going to ask you today to pray for two things. I want you to pray for wisdom and understanding. You've got to have wisdom. And you got to understand what's going on. Because the devil's going to look for those people who aren't discerning. The ones who aren't paying attention. The ones who've looked away. And this battle is for your life. I don't know what you want to say. Be sure and pick up the latest Indiana Bible College recording entitled Jesus at www.voicevision.com.